Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode, but just before we get into it, we are super excited to tell you about our new UK CAT course and booklet coming out later this week. We've been working with loads of high-performing students and doctors, including our very own medic hero, for this and hope it's useful. So make sure you stay tuned to get your hands on a copy as soon as it's released and share with your friends and family that are interested in studying medicine or dentistry. Let's get into the episode now. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In Podcast. This week we've got another super special guest. We have with us today Mr. Joseph Magnoli, who is a consultant ENT surgeon working in the super famous University College London and the Royal ENT National Hospital. He's a specialist in otology and hearing implants for both children and adults. It's a massive bio, so I'm going to hand it straight over to you, Joe. Introduce yourself and let's get the show cracking. Thanks guys, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so um, as Abdul said, I am a consultant ENT surgeon. I work at uh, UCLH in central London, um, uh, part of which uh, is based at the Royal National ENT Hospital. And um, I specialise in, in ear disease and hearing problems for all ages, so right from newborn babies to people over the age of 100. Wow, so. sounds good. So the way we love to do these shows, it's We've got a snapshot of who you are now, mm-hmm. but we want to take it all the way back to young Joe, a budding, yeah. aspiring surgeon. <laughs> so kind of take us through that journey and we'll come to present day and kind of discuss how life is for you now. Sure. Okay. This could get emotional, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> let's, let's we want to go into <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sure. Well, yeah, go ahead. Tell me. So uh, where did you start off in terms of med school? Where did yeah, you study? Okay. So I, um, I grew up in the Midlands. Um, mm. My my father was a, was a doctor based there, and then he he got his consultant job in Eastbourne okay. when I was about thirteen. Um, mm-hmm. So I so I had my teenage years in Eastbourne on the south coast near near Brighton, and I went to med school in Bristol, and spent um, eight happy years there in the mm-hmm. end. So six years med school at the BSc, mm-hmm. and uh, then I did F one and F two at, at the Bristol Royal Infirmary. Sweet, and where so how was med school? In terms of a student, especially Bristol, I know it's quite popular. How did you find that? Yeah, I loved it there. Actually, I, I never really wanted to leave. Okay. Um, I um, I sort of you know I did what was required to to pass. Yeah. <laughs> um, spent most of the term time sort of um, playing a lot of medics hockey yeah. and getting involved in choreographing dance shows yeah. and nice. um, getting involved in the clinical review and things like yeah. that. Yep. And uh, I would basically cram in the holidays, yeah. and you know, I sort of, I was one of those students where, you know, as soon as you hear something's not going to be examined, yeah, you know, straight, <laughs> straight off the list, <laughs> scratched uh, off. So yeah, <laughs> I should be ashamed of that now, shouldn't I, <laughs> being in this, in this role? But, um, but yeah, so so yeah, Bristol was great. I sort of definitely, um, yeah, did all the things that I, I sort of yeah, I look back and think I definitely made the most of uni. Yeah, and that's, sure. that's and you were a musician as well. Right? Yeah, so in my second year, I um, basically joined a, a band, mm. and uh, we it was a sort of blues, jazz, funk, soul yeah. type band, and um, we ended up playing all the uni balls at Bristol. You know, our first mm-hmm. our first gig was at Hyatt Baker Ball yeah. in two thousand and four, I think, and um, and then basically as that as our generation started to grow up and get married yeah. we would then we started playing loads and loads of weddings yeah. and then um, you know through word of mouth started playing lots of conferences and things it's just basically carried on 
until it was a medic band originally okay. yeah. um, but now there's only a couple of doctors left in the okay. band which makes it much easier when someone says can you play at their wedding yeah. Yeah. you don't have six rotors to, to, to sort out um, but it, it provides great balance yeah, yeah. it's great fun I think and, um, that's the key especially for medical school because it's so intense and you kind of get your head down past exams you always need these additional facets like music football just to kind of give that relaxation de-stress yeah relaxation and also I think you know looking back I think uni can be a time when you know you sort of leave your comfort zone and your self-esteem can be so vulnerable yeah Yeah. and actually having something wholesome like music was really good for my self-esteem I think you know when and everyone sort of finds that in different ways you know some people get into relationships or or you know sports whatever I think for me the, the hockey and the music kind of Helped you as a way of me, yeah, being happy with, with myself. How did you, you know? balance the two sort of medical uh, studies and doing sports? Sp- and <laughs> being well, I basically did the minimum <laughs> in medicine, <laughs> no, but I, cr- I crammed a lot in the holidays, and yeah. I was, I think, I was fortunate that I, I didn't have to, um, I didn't have to fund myself, you mm. know, I think that mm. it would have been different if so. In the holidays, I could just really knuckle down and study hard yeah yeah um, I sort of kept that approach really until until I graduated really yeah okay um, so yeah. for surgical exams now up till registrar so <laughs> yeah it, get, it gets harder it gets harder um, there's no getting away from the fact early the early years of surgical training you know yeah. are, are you know hard work stiff competition um, and uh, as you get older you find that you, your the need for you to be absolutely on tip top form at work yeah. it just becomes more and more e- at the, every, every you yeah. know the higher you, you yeah. go and certainly by registrar level you know you you can't really turn up to work having not slept the night before yeah. um, and you have to keep your hands steady and now particularly in ENT and ear surgery it's you know <laughs> I, I know when I've got you know a stapedectomy the yeah. next morning I have to be you know, <laughs> by, by 10. And, so. then, and then you got those annoying F1s and FTs like me that will keep calling you as a reg or a consultant. Like, I need help. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I need some advice. So, med school sounded awesome. And we're kind of an advocate of making the most of it. Don't kind of leave med school just with a certificate, just with MBBS. Get involved in societies. Get involved in music. Do things you enjoy. Because mm. I'm sure you'd agree, as soon as you graduate, your time dwindles. And you don't have the luxury of doing that. Yeah, definitely. I think like, like nowadays, you definitely can have a balanced life, you yeah. know, throughout. But realistically, you, you're going to have one or two um, kind of interests that you keep up. Yeah. You know, whether it's playing five-side football or. Yeah. But you know, the days where you could, you know, travel to another med school and and play their yeah. their hockey team or you know be in a show like a musical or something like that. It's that's just difficult yeah. which you know as you as you so graduate. embrace it all the medics so, yeah. embrace it while in your med school absolutely take so those chances how so if you finished f1 f2 you're in bristol yeah kind of spent a good amount of years in eastbourne how did you end up in london right so i um i loved being in bristol and uh during you know by the time we got to f2 it was time to decide on a, on a career path and i mm. decided by then to apply for core surgical training yeah and um, at the time, now it's a sort of national process, but at, back then you would apply to every deanery in turn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happened, so every deanery would have their, their hold their interviews for core surgery, and they would all be on different days, and they had this rule where if you accept an offer, you have to take it. Okay. So it was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a real sort of stick or twist situation with yeah. your life. And, you know, I think it was really hard on people that had, uh, you know, another, uh, had to kind of coordinate with another half of, you yeah. know, at the time. So, so I... Um, 
And Bristol's interviews were the last of all the, the regions okay, of the country. Yeah. So I'd kind of resigned to the fact that I was unlikely to to kind of turn down any other offer I got, yeah. you know. So I um, I came to, I, I did, in, uh, yeah, I did a few interviews, including London, yeah. Peninsula. I went to the, went to the Reebok Stadium for, for uh, Manchester Deanery and... Um, uh, in, it was in Bolton and then essentially I got an offer for Wessex Deanery nice. um, doing ENT in Salisbury okay. which was quite near to Bristol yeah. um, and it was with um, someone I knew was an inspirational trainer so yeah. I mm-hmm. basically just sort of twisted on that yeah. and took that job and um, it meant that I could sort of keep up with the band who were all based ah, in, in Bristol and it was yeah so that so that so that was that so CT1 in Salisbury and then um, the best ENT CT2 job in the deanery was in Portsmouth so I yeah. then went to Portsmouth for oh, CT2 wow. awesome. did um, you kind of go into course surgery training knowing you wanted to pursue a path of ENT yeah so I, I, I decided in F1 that I was going to do ENT strangely I, I, before that I'd I'd always kind of known about ENT mm. but I um, at that time there was this, there was a big debacle called MTAS okay. um, I don't mm. know if you probably no. you know it was no, a big no. thing in our generation that uh, people a few years above me had sort of they'd launched this national run through application process that basically became very unpopular okay. and went mm-hmm. and didn't work very well and um, lots of lots of people ended up having to retrain or leave the country oh, you know, wow. there was lots of people didn't oh. get jobs and where they wanted um, so I had this whole sort of cohort of SHOs at the time when I was a medical student saying, you know, don't try for ENT. It's, you know, it's never going to, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, your chances of getting a job are very small. And I was sort of brought up with this idea that you had to be a sort of top of the rank prize winning medical student to ever yeah. have a chance. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of, I, I think I still thought I wanted to do surgery, thought I'd go for orthopaedics because it's a slightly bigger specialty. Yeah. And then in F1, I did a taster in ENT and sort of sat in a, in a, in a really inspirational ENT clinic where this consultant was basically just solving people's problems, mm, bish, wow. bash, bosh. And I thought, you know, actually, this is and you know, this is what I want to do. And I love the fact that it's, you know, you can treat looking after children as well as adults. I think that sort of keeps you young. And so towards the end of F1, I just thought, right, I'm just, just going to have to go for this. I just got to do it and and really go for it hard. Yeah. Um and that's what happened. So so I um so went went into core training knowing I wanted to do NT. Fine. And just worked my socks off. So, you know, that I just basically got things were things are very transparent now in that the scoring um mm. the scoring systems are all published. Yeah. Whereas back then you sort of had to get advice from people that had got jobs you know so yeah. luckily I had some friends that were in ENT that had got jobs way. a couple of yeah. years ahead and they I sort of pestered them you know what should I do what should I do yeah, yeah. you know am I going to get points for this and I get points yeah. for that and I just and and the other thing I did was I lived in hospital accommodation uh, for two years during mm-hmm. core training I basically sort of lived and breathed um, ENT, ENT and medicine yeah. and just yeah. really worked hard on my CV Definitely. Um, really sort of yeah really worked hard and so those were the f- sort of formative years really yeah. where I um, kind of racked up all the points to I, I was kind of my mentor at the time basically s- kind of scared me into working <laughs> hard saying you know you could publish 10 papers win several prizes and yeah. still there are people like that who didn't wow. get yeah. registrar yeah. jobs to be fair I think like you said even though it is transparent I still feel especially with ENT it's still very competitive. Like we knew, like if you want to pursue surgery, 
ENT is a very good specialty, like you mentioned, you get both access mm. to both kids and adults, you're mm. not kind of tied down to a certain demographic. But it still seems super competitive. I'm not sure how many posts there are. Mm. It's like you have to buckle down, like double down on it and kind of smash it. We know one of our, who's at SHO now, got a run through in Kent, mm. the ENT. Um, I admire the resilient two years, the smashing out, getting into it. <laughs> how do you feel? the exposure is for ENT in terms of medical students because we didn't have much exposure. I don't know how it was like in Bristol. What would you advise for people that may want to pursue a career in ENT but mm-hmm. maybe not have it as a rotation, maybe have minimal exposure during medicine? Yeah, I think that's very common. I think it's it's it, it's popular still despite that because, well, I could sort of tell you all the reasons why, why I chose it, but it's a small specialty. So when I applied, mm-hmm. there were 32 registrar jobs uh, in the country wow. so it only took more than 32 people to want to do it and suddenly yeah. you were you're were applying against people that had kind of pinned their nail to the ENT mast so um, and and yeah so you really don't get much ENT at med school yeah. so I you know I had seven days worth of ENT it was in the middle of a cardiology block yeah. and yeah. there was no Random reason <laughs> yeah why you're there there was no reason to take any notice of it so why it? did you want to do ENT so I did so I did an elective in ENT okay. in Sydney and yeah. I think I really enjoyed that and then the taste a week in ENT as okay. well um, my father also happens to be an ENT consultant okay, sweet. Um, no, no bias there <laughs> no. right so, so and do you know what he um, he never said oh you should do ENT uh, he, he didn't actually he was just you know happy enough for me to do whatever but I, I definitely always compared what I saw at med school to what I knew his life was like yeah. and yeah. what the things he would tell me about work and mm. and I think that you know sort of always meant that I sort of thought I had to keep ENT as as something to think about yeah. and then when I did my elective and then the, the taster and then when I finally decided actually despite all the pessimists I've really got to give this a shot mm. that was it then Fine. Yeah. Uh, and actually I really can't imagine doing anything else yeah. so. I, yeah. I think you've highlighted the importance of A exposure and then second sort of the inspiring consultant that you had in your taster week I yeah. think when we have very little contact with spe- specialities we find that there's only there's always one person one inspiring consultant or relatable character and they really do so we had a really good orthopedics registrar yeah. if you remember him in Kent mm-hmm. and he inspired us with orthopedics we were like wow orthopedics we always imagined as something for boneheads quote unquote <laughs> <laughs> but um, when he when he sort of logically went through the process of surgery clinical management everything we were left in absolute awe um, so yeah so no I was just saying your your character your relatability is something that a lot of us juniors are now beginning to get exposed to that's great um, to hear I think you're right like I think choosing your career can be so difficult not only because there's a lot of choice mm. but also because the kind of stuff you see the juniors doing yeah. might be actually quite different to what you do as yeah, a consultant which is yeah. what you're going to be doing for 30 the odd years the bulk of your career yeah, yeah. That, so that, that, that's, that's one thing and then um, also you kind of you naturally gravitate to um, specialties where you see people like you right mm-hmm. and 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 that can really be you know quite dependent on your on your on your placement I think yeah absolutely. Um, yeah I so. some advice um, another surgeon gave is it's very easy to pick a specialty because of prestige tasks you know neurosurgeon cardiologist but he also said think about personality types see if your personality type fits in with that specialty um, but it kind of brings us a so fast forward 
17 years. Mm-hmm. Is it 17 years? I read your post. 17. Yeah. <laughs> All right. In terms of... Giving away my age now. <laughs> in terms of being a consultant. Yeah. Um, so you're this new generation, new cohort of what I like to call tech-savvy consultants. I don't mean to offend any senior consultants. <laughs> you will probably be my <laughs> boss. Um, there's a kind of multitude of things I want to talk about. So what kind of prompted you to have this Instagram where you're the ENT surgeon? Mm-hmm. Um, as a new cohort of consultants and how do you feel kind of sharing personal aspects of your life mm-hmm. with the wider public knowing five ten years ago consultants would never dare to kind of share the information you share mm-hmm. um, how is that for yeah, you what it, kind of triggered it it's definitely it was definitely looking back quite a big step and um, I'm still to some extent learning the way yeah. and actually you know it's still quite a new thing and Actually, it's nice to get feed, you know, hear mm-hmm. the feedback that's positive because yeah. I guess you post stuff, you're not really sure, you know, uh, how it is. In all honesty, I started I started the Instagram as a kind of adjunct to my my private practice, mm. but it has turned into something much more m- very different to that, um, <laughs> and and that's and that's great. So um, I think that you know, and I've I've kind of as this has been growing, I've been sharing this with my consultant colleagues, mm-hmm. kind of trying to enthuse them to yeah, yeah. to join, at, um, you know, to sort of think about doing this. Um, and in America, you yeah. know, loads of departments are have their in, in an Instagram profile. Yeah. And they're much more sort of it's in very tune. Common, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, all part true. of the branding, and yeah. perhaps we, perhaps this that's where things may go here. But I th- I think you know we I grew up in a in a generation perhaps or you know sort of towards the end of the generation that grew up associating online and social media with you know if a doctor was associated with social media <laughs> yeah. they'd probably done something <laughs> wrong or said <laughs> yeah. something wrong or yeah. you know been suspended so <laughs> yeah. you know so so it's sort of you know I think that probably and also I think you know the, era, the days gone by where you allowed you know you a platform where patients can potentially you know yeah. access and comment out, and yeah. give you good or bad feedback but, you know not everyone feels feels happy about that doing it. Mm-hmm. um so i think yeah i think na- it's not it, it's not a natural thing for a consultant to, to, to necessarily do and also there's the time element you know sure. of finding time to do it what but i your think colleagues opinions when you what did they think yeah, yeah they so think so, so the, um so like a mixture of intrigued and 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 sort of supportive you know Hi. you know yeah. great because I, I you know i think i've sort of perhaps been sharing with them what I've learned about it and, yeah. and I think I've realized you know I, I got contacted fairly early on by um, a medical student lecture platform yeah. that sort of grew during COVID yeah. um, asking if I'd do a seminar and and since then I, I've noticed that I have quite a few medical students and junior docs following and and I've sort of realized that there there is actually a need here to yeah. um, to kind of well or there, there's an opportunity here yeah. to 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 make surgery relatable and, and I think I've you know actually you know I can I read other doctors profiles and things and it's actually clear that um, it's quite difficult for medical students to access role models these days 100%. Um, you know you, and especially now with the pandemic and all that you know your your access to really f- understand what sort of person goes into surgery is very limited and yeah. so you can then therefore be um, you know, sort of follow the stereotypes, and let's be honest. You know, there are good and bad characters yeah, in every yeah, specialty, yeah. and uh, actually, I think, you know, I've now got this. You know, th- through however it's happened, I've got this this great role in a central London teaching yeah. hospital doing tertiary work, and it's kind of, you know, it is a dream job. But mm. and, and I think now that I've got this, not only 
have I sort of got this responsibility to be, you know, a leader in my field? Mm-hmm. Um, on a surgical, from a surgical point of view, I've also got. I guess I've got an opportunity here to kind of be a positive influence and perhaps shape the change that needs to happen yeah. in medicine and in surgery. Yeah. So you know, when I read stuff about you know. It, one of the interesting things about Instagram is people share their, you know, side to them they wouldn't otherwise share. So you you see, you know, young sur- surgical trainees that are girls that are sort yeah. of juggling, mm-hmm. you know, motherhood responsibilities, but also you know dads as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a shame when people um, are put off from surgery because of those things, and they shouldn't have to. You know, it should be up to surgery if we want a nice, healthy balance of mm, men and yeah. women in surgery, for example. It should be up to us to acknowledge that actually bringing up your family is also important yeah. and why why should we separate that and imagine it, it it's it doesn't I happen think, yeah i think the know? beauty with your page is and it's amazing and it's growing very rapidly it's you kind of are accessible so for me to have got in touch with you would have been very difficult if it were not for instagram i would have had to send an email kind of get pin you down somehow mm. you're like a role model because I think a lot of medics find it difficult to find mentors and role models. And there are loads of young junior medics on it, but very rare consultants that are mm-hmm. sharing it, sharing their life. And I can see, okay, this is what a consultant ENT mm-hmm. surgeon is like. Look at him, you know, he's got a lovely baby. He still gets to sing, he <laughs> yeah. still gets to, you know, just ask some village support. Yeah, that's yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, But you normalize being a consultant, whereas before, like, oh my God, they're scary people. Yeah. You know, we have to be quiet, we have to look down, we can't ask some questions. I might be super interested in a specialty like ENT. Mm-hmm. And I would be scared, but now I can just send you a message mm. or be like, Joe, you know, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? So being accessible to a new cohort of generations, and let's be honest, we are now a medic savvy, and you don't want to be that consultant that's left behind. You want to be mm-hmm. with the times um, and be I, a role model. I, I think importantly, it's also that connection to what we were saying earlier. You've now taken on the mantle to basically connect with those who are asking questions like, what is it like in surgery? What is ENT like? And what is life like mm-hmm. as an ENT surgeon I think you put a funny story up yesterday I think where I think you're looking after your child and you you put up a post saying if you <laughs> hold down the screen you can pause the story so you can <laughs> you can read the snap and I think 97% click like yes we all knew that <laughs> but I think it's 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 very no, like it, it really normalizes uh, life as a surgeon as a as a consultant who is 10, 10 odd 10 plus years all the consultants are 10 15 years ahead of us and what it's like and what we all want to achieve um, and those who have no exposure to ENT can finally now get an insight can now finally get an insight that they would never get so I think you picked um, up a responsibility I don't think you initially set up yeah. to do where now you're like a spokesperson at for <laughs> ENT and then you did this thing where you got your register to do a post as well so yeah, I think, I think when I was appointed, I, I did, um, I, you know, I, I chatted to my wife, Sarah, about, you know, kind of what can we potentially, contr- yeah, mm-hmm. how can we serve out of this job that's not yeah. just ENT itself? And I think, you know, one thing was definitely kind of showing care for juniors who are increasingly, you know, c- can be kind of, you know, a junior doctor, the, the, the medical career is not perhaps what it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we still work as hard. And so I think, I don't know, we sort of feel that duty to kind of try and make things better for at least my own juniors. Yeah. Yeah. And so we always had that kind of mantra. And, and now I guess it's kind of turned into an opportunity for that yeah. to happen online as well. Yeah, um, lovely. And, you know, I kind of do my best within the time that I've got. And obviously, yeah. what I mustn't do is it shouldn't really distract the job itself of but at the moment you know if, if if you know if i'm able to kind of encourage you know one or two people that 
have had a bad experience about a surgical career yeah. to make them realise actually, you know, you can be nice and normal and do it. And it's not so bad. And yeah. you can actually not only do that but do it well and end yeah. up end up in a in a in a top job. In a prestigious um, place. Then then that's Definitely. that's great, isn't it? Then, yeah. then and I think that's the beauty of it all. T- like, tell us a little bit about how how you balance surgical life. So you you now do private clinics, private mm-hmm. ops, you work in an NHS institution as well. How do you balance search the surgical life with life outside of medicine? Yeah, so I think any any kind of senior doctor will tell you that like you know, it's full on and yeah. um that is, you know, I can't say I've got all the answers to that. Um, it's 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 a constant juggling act, and you know, yeah, mm. I have a, I I have a, a you know, I have a wife that that you know that deserves my time. I've got mm-hmm. a young baby who's eleven months old. Yeah, so. Um, so, you know, it's it's an ongoing balance. But I think, um, what can I offer to that? I think I think one thing from my perspective, everyone's different, but mm-hmm. I know that like my wife and I are pulling in the same direction you know yeah, we're yeah. not kind of competing with each other's interests yeah so I think that's big you know, I she kind of um, absolutely champions um, you know my efforts in mm-hmm. my role as a consultant surgeon yeah and I you know I, I hope she'd say that I champion her <laughs> as being a <laughs> great mum and being <laughs> a great speech you know she's an ITU speech therapist so awesome. you know, I was encouraging her as well so I think I think that's helpful you know if, if it's a if life's a constant sort of trying to kind of um, tit for tat, compete, yeah. outcompete each other. You know, whose whose turn is it now? Yeah. Then yeah. I think you, it can feel a bit of a stretch because I think we we feel like we're kind of we're in this together, and I think that that helps. Yeah, so. I love that. I love the fact that you promote a collaborative approach rather than this sort of. The thing is, we grow we go through med school with this culture of it's always how can I outdo the next person? Mm-hmm. And I you think don't sound like a surgeon there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if you say that, you, you're like... I'm disappointed. <laughs> it's disappointing to hear someone says, oh no, be a uh, sort of the collaborative culture. And I love the fact that someone who's years in, ad- in advance, who's a UCLH consultant, ENT consultant, surgeon as well, who's saying, no, collaborate, don't outcompete. Yeah, I, I, I hope that if you ask my consultant colleagues, they would all say that, that I, I'm it. very much about the team brand. No, it's, I'm not, not out for myself. Because, you know, I always kind of had this... I think, you know, people love Gary Barlow, but they love yeah. Take That More, don't yeah, they? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and let, so let's let's just be a team about no, it. Definitely. And, you know, so, unfortunately, COVID kicked in. Uh, how has that affected your day-to-day as a consultant so how was your day-to-day because it's quite interesting for kind of aspiring surgeons mm-hmm. to know what a life is yeah as a consultant ENT surgeon and how did it all of a sudden change what? to a specialty which was so hard hit and yeah. we were talking about the first clinician that was also an ENT mm. um, physician or surgeon tell us how that is yeah so a typical week um, looks like um, I would you know so I have so one-fifth of my uh, my job plan is academic so I have an academic role mm. day a week but Essentially, trying to embed research within within the clinical work, then I would um, you know have a couple of clinics. So, yeah. um, cochlear implant, auditory implant clinic, whether it's a paediatric or an, or an adult auditory implant clinic, have an auditory implant MDT each week. Mm. Then my regular otology clinic, um, so adult otology clinic and paediatric otology clinic would vary each week, and then typically I'd have two or three operating lists a week as well. Um, so it's a good mix in terms of clinical work surgery a bit of academic research and how did all of that change when covid happened like how did you all take it as a department central london yeah it was a big shock as it was for everyone i guess um and uh, well firstly our elective service ground to a complete halt so you know most ear surgeries can wait 
yeah. You know, and um, so the emergency work carried on, but you know, so but the, but a lot suddenly our increasingly long waiting list got you know suddenly yeah. ground to a halt, and that was that was difficult. Um, the clinic, you know, sort of reorganising people's care took up a, a large amount of time. Then there was the whole sort of re-evaluating safety and protocols yeah. very quickly because it we it became apparent quite early on that doctors that work in the head and neck sort of region were, were exposed like we'd cool. sort of heard this and then we'd heard that a couple of ENT surgeons were critically ill and, yeah. and sadly one of our one of our colleagues in Burton was the first yeah, to pass away so so yeah so it was naturally a lot of fear you know I'm the youngest consultant in our department M- most of my colleagues are in their 50s yeah um, so there was this sort of yeah I naturally felt like a duty of care like how are we going to do this as yeah. a group do I need to kind of do a bit more do I need to yeah. encourage some of my colleagues to 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 protect themselves and I was gonna say. you know na- all my uh, I have a great bunch of colleagues that are all kind of very service-hearted and yeah. some of them needed to kind of be encouraged to you know yeah. it's, it's okay it's like yeah. <laughs> we actually want you to stay safe so um so there's yeah yeah, but it was a time where it brought us together. You know, yeah. the the one th- interesting thing about consultant life is that you can, you can end up not seeing your colleagues very much yeah. in yeah. person because yeah. we all have different timetables. Um, so actually, this brought us together, and we we you know we, we I've sort of seen paradoxically seen my my consultant colleagues a lot more I during the last yeah. few months. Yeah. Where you know, albeit nice. over over video call, but yeah. um, so that's good. And I think we've we've kind of grown as a team, and I think we want to carry that momentum yeah. on. I think um, definitely. I think COVID kind of accelerated a lot of things that should have happened earlier within the NHS, kind of brought us together as a nation, yeah. as departments, you kind of look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a time we could have learned a lot and a lot of things we have learned to implement. Um, I just remember, because you, you help children with the implants, kind of tell us about that and that experience. Is it children that are completely deaf or have hearing difficulties Mm-hmm. And you put an implant in, and all of a sudden, like those videos, they can hear their mum's voice. Yeah. Is tell us a bit about that and what it feels to be there and kind of facilitating, enabling that. Because I find that inspiring. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you are the heart of it. So how, how yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah it's more. definitely. Lots of people have seen those sort of inspo videos. Yeah, 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 switch yeah. on, emotional switch on. It's not always quite like that, okay. but it is certainly a very magical service, and yeah, it's an honour to be a part of it. I did one this morning actually. Okay, so uh, tell us about uh, that. So I did a bilateral cochlear implant on a 11 month old. Wow. Um, yeah. So essentially, there, there, there are cochlear implantation. You can do this surgery for for a whole range of range of ages, but the patients generally fall into two categories: the prelingually deafened children, yeah, and postlingually deafened older children and adults. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the first group. Essentially. We can we know we learn language and we can speak because we've we've heard sound we've yeah. heard language and our brain has processed it and, and that's how it how it's gone. So if a child is born deaf and they can't hear, yeah, then they they that part of the brain that's pr- um, responsible for learning language isn't being stimulated. Yeah, and we know that there's a time window for which that part of the brain will continue to to be plastic ah. before you, before you've. It's a bit too late. Yeah. Mm. So if you miss the boat and you don't diagnose congenital deafness and you want to intervene at the age of sort of seven or eight, it's very unlikely someone will ever learn language. So yeah. pick, so diagnosing 
hearing loss early is, is crucial. Yeah. Now, since 2005 in this country, we've had something called the Newborn Hearing Screening Programme, mm-hmm. yeah. which means that um, before a, a baby leaves hospital, they will have a screening test yeah. to pick up whether they are at risk of, of an of a mm-hmm. undetected hearing loss. Yeah. And um, those children that fail the screening yeah. then get fed to pe- uh, paediatric audiology services to ha- undergo further testing. Mm-hmm. And, a small pr- and, a, and a proportion of those will be deemed to have profound hearing loss. Mm-hmm. So, they, so you early hearing aids and then there'll be a proportion who don't demonstrate benefit when, yeah. when yeah. you're doing behavioural testing. And it's that group that you think about performing cochlear implant surgery for. Yeah. And it's an it's an MDT decision, so it's not a decision I would make on my own. I've got the expertise of my colleagues in audiology, yeah. speech therapy, teach to the deaf, psychology, yeah. radiology. Okay, so, so, so we we come together. Everyone assesses Each their own domain, time, yep. yeah, and then we come together and, and make a decision. In the UK, um, the NHS will fund bilateral cochlear implants. Mm. So um, for adults, they only fund one actually on the NHS. So, um, but yeah, so we know that if we can. If we can perform on the on the on the correct child, mm-hmm. we perform bilateral cochlear implant surgery early. Yeah. So if you so we know that if you if you do that for a child under the age of one, by the age of two, if all their other faculties are Intact. in place, you know, if if their deafness is their only yeah. um, uh, the only uh, issue, they can catch up with their normal hearing peers in terms of speech wow. language by the age of two. Oh wow! And so you give them the option of integrating into the hearing world. And so. these individuals, if there were to not have these implants, would they have grown up kind of deaf and not been able to hear at all? Or how bad is the deficit? Yeah, so I think the the, the, the sorts of children that we're um, offering cochlear implants to mm. will be in the profound deafness category. Fine. So, you know, that's really the, the, the level of deafness where conventional hearing aids aren't going to amplify sound enough. Yeah. If the hearing loss is moderate, mild to moderate, then, then other can, other ways of amplifying natural sound oh, are going to be a better option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so cochlear implants are for the scenario where conventional methods aren't amplifying natural sound enough. So you're mm-hmm. you're then changing the way the the brain hears yeah, by use, putting an electrical device into the cochlea. It's quite <laughs> impactful really work. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. No. It it it, it is. It, you know. You select the right children. Yeah. Then and yeah and 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 we do it for adults as well who who lost their hearing later after yeah. learning language. Um, yeah. We you know it's a, it's a really privileged job. You get to ex- see people's stories, lives changed. Yeah. And yeah. you know we know that restore. Um, you know hearing affects your mental health, your family relationships, yeah. um, your social life. You know all those things, and, and also you know, yeah. People's perception. You know, if someone, it's a hidden disability. Yeah, so, yeah. so you know, it's for someone you don't know might not necessarily be able to compensate for, for you know, or, or help um, adjust their communication style yeah. to help you unless they're they're made aware. So, yeah. so hearing is precious. Like, I guess that's what I'm trying to it say. Is, it so, is, it is, really is precious. So, yeah. um, so it's it's um, it is a dream job to be doing yeah. this, and and. You know what? Coming through, even towards my final years of ENT training, yeah, I always knew that I was interested in um, ears and hearing surgery, but implant surgery is only done in big centres, yeah, and so implant jobs don't come along that often. So often, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, even at my fellowship interview, I was asked, "Do you want to be an implant surgeon?" I yeah. said, "Well, 
I'd love to be an implant surgeon, but obviously, you know, I realise not everyone can be. So yeah. to get this job is has been it's a dream job. It's, yeah, no, awesome. no, it really is actually. And just, awesome. just even hearing you speak and just seeing you, it's like you're so enthusiastic about it, and like I can tell you're very good at your job. <laughs> you're a very good teacher. You, you obviously did the lecture for Bite Med. Um, you did the podcast for us, but um, you're a great educator. People loved your your case, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. But I can tell you, be a, you're a very good clinician and surgeon, and like, and you love it. You clearly love you can, it. There's a yeah. massive smile oh, on your face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever uh, gone abroad to um, do any sort of work, any sort of human aid work, anything like that? Not since becoming a doctor, but mm-hmm. um, that definitely is something we'd like to do. Yeah, yeah. when the time is right. Um, yeah, I think you know, kind of say so we, we, you know, include my wife in this, who's kind mm-hmm. of you know probably my biggest champion. We're in this to serve, you know. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So, so it's how best to do that. And right now, um, it's important for me to um, sort of build the service here. Well, Absolutely. you know, sort of uh, yeah. um, fulfill all the promises I made at my consultant interview. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and that's all going really well so far. Um, but there will come a time when. Yeah, there's an opportunity yeah, to. Yeah. Um, I can imagine you, you because you've got capabilities to affect, I think, thousands of lives across the world. <laughs> um, that sort of operation you've just described, I can imagine so many people's lives being changed um, yeah, here so, and abroad. So, ear surgery is really, um, it's one of those things, yeah, you can do it yeah. abroad. And um, uh, one of my colleagues, and my, well, my, my colleagues who was my uh, mm-hmm. one of my great mentors when I was training, he. Um, does a lot of work abroad um, and one of my specialisms yeah. is middle ear surgery under local anaesthetic yeah. Yeah. Um, so being able to do um, it's quite fiddly surgery yeah, with a patient awake you, it, yeah. well oh. under local yeah <laughs> so it, it gives you options to do things in, in pla- you know, places that may not have those facilities yeah so. definitely um, you touched on mentors quite a few times yeah we're an advocate for it but you're someone who's had mentors and kind of got into a position where people aspire to be. Tell us the value of having mentors, how important it is, and what you've learned from your mentors. Yeah, so the medical career is, is it's not a solo sport. And yeah. I think um, being able to seek wisdom and, you know, sort of have the humility to yeah. kind, of, um, kind of ask, you know, for, uh, Ask for help from from yeah. whoever's willing to give it to you, but also from a, from a wide range of people is really important, yeah. and you know let let it shape you on on the way. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's really important. Mm. And um, how would people kind of go about getting the right mentors? Um, there's always struggling. What information or what advice would you give? Yeah, I think um, you know I guess it's it's largely dependent on on your on who's around you you know your path will take you towards w- towards lots of great advice i think you know i've probably i've probably found that trainees that so so yeah it's interesting at med school what makes you top of the year you know is being able to study well and being very academic at, as a doctor it's very different you know yeah, and, and i find that the doctors doctors who are personable service orientated easy to get along with team players that will go the extra mile for others generally find themselves falling in the place of good advice yeah. and people that are willing to, to go the extra them. mile to help them yeah. Yeah, so that's probably what I'd, I'd advise you know sort of yeah just kind of be out there for others yeah. and the advice will come and it'll come around yeah and, and, and keep yourself open to, ch- to being moulded and changed yeah. and the other thing I'd say is you know like I always made a point of remembering 
who has helped me along the way because yeah. that's a lot of people yeah every time you know when I got my consultant job for example I mm. made sure that I'd texted and thanked people that had helped me 10 years ago I think that's really yeah. important you know I would definitely yeah. encourage people to, to do that because um yeah we're all, none of us are here from our own absolutely so I love it I love the fact that you said it's not a solo sport I think I was on Twitter the other day and again I saw the same culture of talking about it's just sort of study hard get the publications it's me against you and again it's you're talking about how it completely and it does it shifts as soon as you're on F1 it's all about are you easy to work with are you mm. a good have you got a good relationship with your consultant as the F1 um, and then they support you with extra things like they offer you audits and research and all these projects just to work with them Yeah. Um, I love that I love that I hope all of the guys listening absolutely take that on board um, because it's really important yeah when I'm choosing you know registrars and, and juniors I, I, I do sort of quietly look and see how well they get along with their peers and, yeah. you know, and I think yeah when I, when I think back to um, bottlenecks that I have, have got through I, I always team you know sort of collaborated with my peers at the time so the other mm-hmm. core trainee in my deanery that wanted to do NT or yeah. other registrars yeah. and you know I sort of we decided we would sincerely try and improve each other. Yeah. So the minute you start seeing that your best so friends awesome. as your competition, a, definitely then um, it just But it is, it is a very easy trap to fall into because as medics, I imagine a lot larger of my type of personalities and we're just so driven to get to what we want. And if you know there's one or two posts and you're competing, it's I can imagine all of them. Yeah. And just, yeah. the system promotes that, isn't it? Because it's all point-based, it's all... For when we were applying for the foundation post, it's all about so publication gives you one point, audio give, or an audit gives you another point, and so you ask the system sort of pitches you against each other. Yeah. Even in school, you're you're ranked yeah. from one to four hundred, and you're it's it's all against each other. So it, it is something. We're it it is out. hard, and I yeah I would just urge everyone if, if everyone out there to sort of resist that and just yeah. you know trust trust that there will be a great job for you if, yeah. you know and do you know what when I applied for this job mm-hmm. I went up against two friends of mine um, wow. one of whom I was um, at med school with and who was actually in the year above me and gave me a tremendous amount of advice along yeah. the way yeah, which yeah. I've, I've never forgotten and I'll always be grateful to him so so that was kind of one of the most sort of awkward positions to be in yeah, yeah. Um, but he got the he got a dream job you know so, in 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 um in another unit so it all yes, worked out I love it I love that so, so I think you know we've we got to be we've got to be a team on this no right? 100% yeah. Joe we've, we're grateful for you kind of taking the day out of your busy schedule from your singing oh, to join us <laughs> um, we always like to end with advice what advice would you give to our listeners we have a large cohort of medics juniors um, a lot of them are keen for ENT what advice would you give them to in, uh, yeah so um, general life advice how to be an awesome dad but yeah. <laughs> how to how to get to where you are now how what do they need to do to become a top ENT surgeon consultant in a very prestigious hospital in London what do they need I th- to do you know what I'd, I'd say is like how, where, whichever way your medical career path takes you it will take you to um, scenarios and opportunities where you will have a really privileged opportunity to impact other people's lives and yeah. be a really positive influence and be be um, be a role model and an inspiration if you if you choose it to be that way and you know whether it's ENT or any other specialty and whether it's at consultant level yeah. or or at a different level you you've always got someone else looking up to you sure. and yeah. um, what I would encourage 
people out there is, is to just um, stay grounded and be kind to everyone around you you know during that yeah. time so um, it's definitely easy as you kind of get into these big high profile positions to to kind of forget who you were and yeah. you know but there are always you know in my job today I'm working with other big name consultants but I'm also working with you know the junior scrub team and yeah. the the you know our cleaner who cleans yeah. our office and and um, you know you can you can actually make as much of an impact by knowing their name and yeah. what they did Absolutely. over the weekend yeah. and you know so that's kind of that is just as influential as pioneering the next big surgery True. Uh, in my mind so so I think just that's don't lose sight of that sound advice um, I imagine there'll be a lot of people that want to get hold of you get in touch how did I get in touch? What's your Instagram page called? Yeah, so I've got um, in, an Instagram handle, Ear Surgeon Joe. How yeah. cool um, is that? <laughs> how cool is so that? We'll, we'll I sort you. of thought, how can I, you know, what handle would actually describe who what I am and yeah. what I do? So that, that was it, basically. But um, but yeah, so I kind of, um, as I said, you know, I explained how it started, but I've, I'm trying to kind of share a little bit about, you know, what life as an ENT mm. consultant is like. Um, perhaps an honest reflection of, you know, kind of, I've, I've quite intentionally allowed some of my home life Personal. to be there as well yeah, just because yeah. you know hopefully that can um, demystify the world of surgery mm. um, and, and and what sort of person you you, you can be in surgery and um, but also putting a lot of ENT educational no, stuff about this yeah so, awesome That's um, great. so I'm happy to kind it's of definitely a very informative page full of insights and you, you get your regs and trainees to also kind of chip in sometimes so yeah. it's just not a consultant led page you also get to see how it is for them yeah I realise that some you know and juniors and med students might not want to ask a consultant yeah. you know and I understand that yeah. but you know um, so yeah I've kind of given a platform to my, my reg that was nice to see your, your trainees on that as well yeah. cool, really nice. cool. I'll, do, I'll do more of that yeah. if that's definitely, helpful definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. should be good but thank you ever so much Joe for coming down oh, um, it's been a pleasure I want to thank you thank the listeners um, and we hope to see you again next week nice one cheers <laughs>